go back to the one another's that we have. We've, we've kind of been ebbing and flowing out of this gospel culture uh, uh, talk over the last, uh, this summer, as we've talked about Jesus, who is Jesus, making sure that we understand who the real Jesus is and not the Jesus of culture, or, or uh, especially of Southern Christianity as it's developed over the years. We, we do live in the most uh, Christian part of the world, not, not of the United States. We, there, there is, uh, uh, on a density uh, uh, level, there, there is no more area more dense uh, with Christianity than the I-20 corridor of the state of Alabama. It's been studied. It's been proved. The research is there. Uh, if you live between Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and Anniston, Alabama, you live in the most dense Christian culture in the world. And that is great, and that is scary. Why? Because often where religion is so dense, it is more prone to be wrong at times. Just because it's dense with uh, Christianity doesn't mean that the version of Christianity that is prevalent or pro prominent is even the true version of Christianity. And so we constantly have to evaluate ourselves, uh, our, what we listen to, what we read, what we hear from the pulpits. Why? Because every preacher that preaches is a fallen human being, including the one standing right here. And my wife is here. She can, she can give testimony to that very easily. I've got other family members that are here. They will testify to that. Some of you have been my friends for a long time. You will testify to that. And so listen, every single person that teaches or preaches the Word of God is always prone to being wrong. And a lot of times what happens is, is that uh, we are wrong on purpose. Some people just have their agenda. They have their version or idea of Christianity that they want to put forth and, and not the one of Scripture. I, will, I have and will continue to admit that there are, there, there are times when I am wrong in my preaching and when I know of those times, I will be quick to correct them. But my heart has always been, Lord, keep me from me, keep me from my ideas, keep me from... Uh, uh, my personal opinions uh, keep me from what makes me comfortable and just help me to stick with what you say. And that, is, that, that will always be my bent. That will always be my prayer. That will always be my desire. And I'm sure that if I continue to pray that when I misstep, the Lord will correct me and point that out. And I'm assured of that because I know that you're praying for me as well, right? Hey man, you're praying for me, right? I hope you are. I, I hope you know if anybody needs prayer, I'm the one that needs prayer the most. And so you should be praying. So we talked about Jesus. Who is the real Jesus? Then we, 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 we dipped our toe into missions. Uh, I mean, uh, Jesus. And then we talked about uh, 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 community. And so we talked about the one another's. What does Christian community look like? And then we talk, We spent the last several weeks going to missions, and we've been talking about missions and how important missions is, and there's, there's still an unfinished task that is before us as the gospel has still yet to be heard by, some, uh, by uh, uh, about 2 billion plus 
people. And so we've committed to give like never before to support missionaries that are going into places where the gospel has yet to be preached, where in some places there's not even a Bible in their, in their, uh, in their language. And some of these people, like the area that uh, uh, the Nelsons are heading into, is there's not even a written language. So not only do they need a Bible in their language, they need a written language to write it in. So there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot ahead of those, of those two young people, you know. But guess what? None of that happens without the support of prayer and without the support of our finances. And so uh, last week we talked about prayer, and the week before we talked about finances. And, and I, I pray that you have upped your prayer life this past week and prayed more than you've ever prayed before. And and I can tell we're up in our giving game because we're, we've given like we've never given before in these last three weeks. And I pray that these are just but the, the, the birth pangs of something greater that God is going to do out of all of this. But today I want to come back to community. What does it look like to be a church that really that Jesus looks at and says, when, I, when, when, when the idea of church came into my head, that's exactly what I... This is, this is what I wanted it to be. This is what I've written down in my word. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, we, we get introduced to some, some more one another's. And we basically said over the last couple of weeks, as we've talked about community as Christians, is that the Bible gives us some 30 some odd one another commands. And that you cannot do the one another commands if you don't come to church and gather together. That would have been a good place to say Amen. Not because we need some kind of number to report, not because uh, uh, you know, we need to pat ourselves on the back or, 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 or to you know, get on Facebook or some social media and, and, and talk about all the numbers of the people that show up. No, we, we need to come to the house of God and we need to gather together as a community of faith because it is essential for our spiritual well-being. Now, you, come on, you're you warming up a little bit. That's true. It, it ain't about, it's not a numbers game. It, it's all about, look, it's heaven and hell. That's what's, that's what's in the balance. Heaven and hell. Eternal life. And so, as we read the text in a moment, I, I kind of want to set up what Paul is, well, we don't know if it's Paul. We're not really sure who the writer of Hebrews is. But whoever this writer is, uh, I want to kind of set up where, where our text is going to take us this morning. The, the birth of the church happens. This, 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 what we are experiencing this morning all began back in Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2 records the birthday of the church when the Holy Spirit descended upon 120 believers. I mean, pretty much that was the extent of Jesus' ministry. 120 converts. It's amazing today how many preachers cannot stay in their church simply because of numbers. Jesus would have been fired from a lot of churches. Why? Because he was only good for 120 in three years. But 120 assembled in what we call the upper room. It records the growth process of the infant church. And on what we call the day of Pentecost, and the reason why we call it that is because it's 50 days post-resurrection. Pent, meaning 50, 50 days past resurrection. And then Peter walks out, 
and he becomes the, 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 the chief spokesman of this 120. He's the lead pastor of this early congregation, and he preaches, and 3,000 people on the first sermon come to faith in Christ. So what does that tell you? Number one, it tells you that uh, you can be like Jesus and have a small congregation and be very successful, or you can be like Peter and have 3,000 come to faith in Christ, and the Bible would look at both of those and say, you know what, that's, that, that's right, that's good, that's success. 3,000 people come, repent of their sins, and were baptized. We see that in Acts 2.42, it's on the screen. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. So these 3,000 people come into this 120, and all of a sudden, they begin to devote themselves to what the apostles taught. The last sentence of chapter 2, verse 47, is the, is the sentence that you and I need to hear this morning. And it is this, it says, Praising God and having favor with all people, and the, watch, here it is, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's, what's, the, what's the prerequisite for church membership? Salvation. They got saved and they got involved in the church. Now, what's amazing is today we see a lot of people get saved but never get involved in the church. I'd probably just say they didn't really get saved. Because the Bible always equates salvation with church membership, with church participation, with church activity. God did not add people to the church without saving them, and he did not save them without adding them to the church. I believe that's in your bulletin. That, that's really good stuff to, to write down, to fill out, because that's, that's so important. Notice that God did not add people to the church without saving them, and God did not save them without adding them to the church. You see, the organic union of personal salvation and church membership is the unchanging pattern of the New Testament. And throughout church history, whenever biblical Christianity has been practiced, Christians have had a high view of church. Look, I, I'm about to be 49 years old. So, you know, I, I don't really still consider that old. I think that's young. Okay, right? I figured you older folks would say, yeah, that's, that's, that's still young. And you younger folks think that that's really old. But it hasn't been that long ago. I mean, listen, it was only what? 40, so 32 years ago that on Sunday, my Sunday looked like this. 9.45 Sunday school, 11 o'clock preaching, 4 o'clock youth choir practice, 5 o'clock training union, 6 o'clock preaching, 7 o'clock youth fellowship. And you're like, well, you just went to church all day long on Sunday. You're right. That's what we did. <laughs> you know why? Because it was the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. You can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. It's the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. And boy, look, in 32 years where we, where we have come, we just pray to God we can get some people to show up for 
one hour. And then we pray harder to get people here for two hours. And then we pray and we fast and we fast and we plead with the God of heaven, might you send people for three hours in a week? Mm. I used to do five on Sunday easy with no, with, with no problems. And guess what? I turned out okay. I think, right? I'm not that weird. Seem halfway normal and decent kind of human being. It didn't mess me up. Unfortunately, there's not unfortunately this is not the case in the times in which we live. There are many today, both believers and professing Christians who question the the necessity, the relevance. Uh, and the importance of the local church. And our generation has created a whole new category that used to never exist, and it's not anywhere in the contents of this book, and it's called the unchurched Christian. In contrast, the position of historic Christianity can be summarized with the words of an early church father named Cyprian who said... Go, put that next statement up on the screen. <laughs> Outside the church, there is no salvation. In other words, a biblical answer to the question, who needs the church? Has anybody ever said that to you? Well, I don't need the church. Who needs the church? Anybody that wants to go to heaven. Anybody that wants to be saved. This does not mean that church membership and attendance and participation can save you. I would never say that to you. God forgives our sins by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Jesus alone. All right? But God has made the church the stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A person can be a member without being a Christian, yet a Christian cannot be healthy, growing, and, and fruitful Christian without active participation in a local church. This, is, I mean, it's like taking a fish out of water. You can't breathe, live, and exist as a Christian apart from, a, from being plugged into a community of faith and not online. That don't count. Now, I'll say this. If you get to the point where you're unable to attend church due to health, you physically can't attend, your health will not allow you to attend, then praise God, we've got online church. But online church is never meant to be the substitute for the church body itself, and it don't count. I tell you what, if, there's, if there were some in our faith family that I knew were, uh, couldn't come to church at various times because they struggle with their health, I'd cut online out. Just do away with it. Why? Because that's not church. The church is what? It's us here together. The assembly of the saints is essential for your assurance of salvation. It's, it's not essential for your salvation. It's, assur- it's essential for the assurance of your salvation. That's what Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 tells us. It gives us four biblical reasons why Christian assembly 
is a requirement for every follower of Jesus Christ. Here's the verses. And let us consider how to stir up one another. Now look, real quick. We already know how to do that. We need to learn how to do that positively. And good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Here we go. So we got to meet together, meet with one another, stir up one another, encourage one another. And we need to do this all the more as we see the day, capital D, the return of Jesus drawing near. The confession of salvation requires assembly. Now, this epistle of the Hebrews was written to a group of at-risk Jewish Christians, excuse me, who were tempted to turn away from Christ because they were under immense and severe persecution. I tell you what, I think there's coming a day in the United States of America where we're going, I mean, I may not live long enough. Uh, it, it might be on the tail end of my life. I feel like we're getting there quicker uh, each and every day. But there's coming a day where some of us, I mean, it's going to cost us a lot to be a Christian. A lot. And that's what's going on in Hebrews. The anonymous author of Hebrews wrote this letter to challenge them to persevere in their faith. And he does this by emphasizing one word nine times, and that word is better. Better. He wants them to know that what they have in the Lord Jesus Christ is better than what they had in the religious system of Judaism. In Hebrews 19, 20 through 21, the writer summarizes the argument he has been making for, uh, uh, since chapter 3. Here it is. Here's the argument. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through, through his flesh, since we have this great high priest over the house of God. Then on the basis of the person and the work of Christ, he calls the readers to do what? To hold fast to Christ with three commands that start with the word, let us. What is, look what he says. Let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith and with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That first command relates to God. Let us draw near to God. The second one relates to ourself. So the first one relates to God, the second one to self. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who is prom because for he who promised is faithful. Don't waver. Why? Not I mean, if you look, if you put your confidence in you, you got every reason to waver. If you put your confidence in the one who is promised that is faithful, you'll never waver. The third command, which is the one we're going to deal with this morning, is the third command relates to other believers. To other believers. Here's what it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, here's the question I want to put forward to us this morning. What do you say to a person who is ready to give up on Jesus? Well, this chapter gives divinely inspired instructions for those who are ready to throw in the towel. Specifically, our text teaches us that you need to commit yourself to some local assembly of believers so that you can submit to the accountability and responsibility that will help you persevere in your faith. 
You need somebody to be in your business. I know we, we Christians, I mean, I mean let, let me refer. we Americans are weird. We have developed this whole autonomous persona that we have that nobody gets to tell me what to do. We have the whole, who do you think you are? Right? Oh, come on, don't we? Well, let's just wait this week when your boss corrects you on the job and you walk off and you mumble under your breath. I don't know who he thinks he is. Or your wife tries to tell you something to do and, and you like a good husband, you do it anyway, but you go, hey, I don't know who she thinks she is. I'm going to show her one day. And that day ain't never going to come because you're not that dumb. Only, only a dummy would, would not do what she says to do. You mumble and grumble about it all you want, but you're going to keep doing it. Why? Because you're smart. You're smart. But listen to me. Who's going to tell you you're off track when you get off track? Huh? Let me ask, anybody want to raise their hand this morning and said, I've never veered off course with the Lord. I've, I've been in the will of God the whole time since I've been saved. Anybody? Nope. Didn't think so. Well, then how'd you get back on track? I, I would say there are moments where the Lord himself will knock you back on track, but I'll say this, that the vast majority of the time, it is brothers and sisters in Christ, and because you are a part of a community of faith, that you have stayed the course. There is a warning in verses 26 and 27 about apostasy. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but we, but a fearful expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Boy, that's a, that, that's a scathing verse, right? That, 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 that'll put a little fear inside of you. You see, this warning about apostasy does not mean it's possible to lose your salvation. God's preserving grace Graces ensure that every true believer is eternally secure, which means this, that true believers, true believers, real believers, will not apostatize or fall away from Christ. They will endure to the end. The perseverance of the saints is not only tied to the preservation of the saints, but it is also tied, listen, that's the key word, the partnership of the saints. Church membership Corporate worship and Christian fellowship are primary means through which God's preserving grace sustains true believers. And so this refutes those who say church does not have anything to do with salvation. The fact is that it has everything to do with your salvation. And I got a good verse he's going to put up on the screen. First, uh, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says this, If I delay, you may know, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of truth. The pillar and the foundation of a building hold it up. If the foundation gives or the pillars fall, the building will not stand. Likewise, the church is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. If your faith in the truth of the gospel will not be able to stand without the church in your life. A guy named William Willeman said this, the gospel does not make sense without the church that makes it make sense.
Can I tell you something? There's only two reasons why I'm a Christian right now. Number one is because the Lord saved me. The number two reason why I'm still a Christian today is because I've been in church 49 years. I got saved when I was nine, so I've been a Christian coming up this fall on 40 years as a believer. I've continued to walk with the Lord for 40 years because the Lord started the work of salvation, and then the Lord has kept me in a fellowship of believers for the last 40 years, and that fellowship of believers has been a partnership that the Lord has put me in as His gracious act to make sure that I get to the end. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to give up and quit and just say to heck with it. Because I met mean people in church and I got called names in church and people told lies about me in the church and I got my feelings hurt and I just wanted to quit. Pack up and go home. I'm not talking about quit the ministry. I'm talking about just quit the church altogether. Just go do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Spend my money how I want to spend it. Do everything that I want to do like I want to do it. And about the, every time when I got, when I felt like I was close to the edge and ready to drop off into the abyss and say, forget this, the Lord always sent one of his people in my pathway. And they didn't even know it. And some of y'all have, in this room, some of you, I continue to be a Christian today and even stand in this pulpit today because of you. Because you didn't know it, but just at the right time, the text message came, the phone call came, the card in the mail came, the, the, the little comment in person came, and it was just what I needed to say, you know what, get away from the ledge now. Walk away, because that's not the way to go. The gospel does not make sense without the church that makes it make sense. The confession of salvation requires Christian assembly. I learned about a spiritual epidemic called Morbus Sabbaticus. Y'all ever heard of that? Oh, it's prevalent in churches, Morbus Sabbaticus. I know, I love the look. Throw out that word, morbus sabbaticus. What is, what is that? In layman's terms, it's known as Sunday morning sickness. The symptoms are quite interesting. It never interferes with the appetite or affects the eyes. The Sunday newspaper can be read with no pain, and watching television seems to help the victim. The only symptom is that you cannot get up and go to church. Strangely, you usually do not feel it on Saturday, but it hits when, the mor when, when Sunday morning comes, and it never lasts more than 24 hours. About the time Sunday morning service is over with, the patient is feeling better. Monday mornings, the patient's able to get up and go to work, but he has a way of striking again the next Sunday. And then after a few weekly attacks, it becomes chronic. talking to someone who suffers from morbus sabbaticus and i stand here to tell you that you need to ask the great physician to heal you today once and for all from the dreaded disease that can strike a death blow to your faith and your walk with jesus the communion of the saints requires assembly california redwoods are interesting they're these huge trees that go hundreds of feet up into the air 
And you would think with a tree of that size that the root system would go incredibly deep into the ground. But one of the things that we know about these 2,500-year-old trees is we know that their root systems are very shallow. And the question has always been, how do redwood trees survive with such shallow root systems in relationship to, to their height? And the reason why they survive is because what uh, what, what has been studied by those who study such things is this, is that their roots, though they do not go deep, they intertwine themselves with one another. Hmm. We need to intertwine ourselves with one another. This is the way Christians stand against the storms of life and the assaults that come on our faith. We hold each other up because we're intertwined. The communion of the saints in the Apostles' Creed refers to this communion of the saints. It's the internal disposition and external demonstration of Christian fellowship that, sum, that succinctly summarized, look back to verse 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Verse 24 commands us to consider one another. The verb consider means to perceive clearly, to understand uh, fully, or to consider closely. It's also used in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, when it says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, look what it says, consider Jesus, the apostle and the priest of our confession. You must set your mind on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, if your faith is going to be strong, secure, and stable. But our text teaches us that Christians should also set their minds on one another. And this verb, consider, is in, is in the grammatical emphasis that denotes a continual action, that we, we live our lives ever considering our other brothers and sisters in Christ. It literally means let us constantly be considering one another. Just as we are always thinking about Jesus, we should always be thinking about one another. It is important, uh, the point uh, to get from this term is that Christian fellowship is primarily, essentially, and ultimately an eternal reality. Fundamentally, our fellowship is not geographical, social, organizational, institutional, or programmatic. It is an internal disposition of care, concern, and compassion for one another that results in words, decisions, and actions that express the love of Christ. I know, you're busy. lot to do. lot to take care of. You got so much on your mind, you can't think about any, anything else and anybody else. I'm just going to tell you this, and, and I'm talking to myself right here, okay? I, I'm, I'm not preaching to you. I'm not preaching at you. I, I, I am part of the congregation. I just happen to be the mouthpiece that's opening up, but I'm preaching to myself right here. Listen to me. If we're too busy to do what we are commanded to do and what should be the natural disposition of our life, then we got some busyness that we need to eliminate and cut out and do away with. Everybody's running around trying to figure out what in the world has God put me on this earth to do. I just told you what he put you on the earth to do. I just told you what he saved you to do. He saved you 
to be in community and quit thinking about yourself all the time and think about others and think about how in the world do I stir up, encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ while I'm here on this earth. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. That's 1 John. True Christians' love will not only lead you to attend and participate in corporate worship, it will also lead you to prayerfully consider the needs, growth, concerns of your brothers and sisters in Christ, even when you're not physically together. You know what? I'm, I'm like you. I get caught up in my day. I, I get busy at work. I get caught up in all the cares and the concerns of my own life. And, and before I've known it, before I know it, a day is gone. Several days have gone. A week's gone. And you know what? I hadn't thought about anybody else but myself. And when I do that, you know what I do? I failed this community of faith. It's, it's not, listen, I'm not just talking about showing up on Sundays. I'm talking about showing up for each other all the time. I'm not talking about let, let's give each other an hour, a couple of hours a week. I'm, not, I, I, I'm saying this. We need a 168 mindset. We need a 168 hours a week mindset. And I know what I've got to do. What do, you, what do you need to do? I'm not going to tell you what I've got to do because what I've got to do may not be what you need to do. But I'm telling you here this morning, I've got to change. And I want to tell you something this morning, you need to change. Because best I can tell, some of us may be doing good, but bad grammar, but good preaching, but ain't none of us doing what we should be doing. This biblical emphasis rebukes those who would say, well, I read Christian books, watch religious television, listen to, te listen to teaching tapes or podcasts or CDs, and I'm just going to say, guess what? That don't count. That podcast don't count. That online sermon don't count. That Christian book don't count. That uh, Christian television doesn't count. None of it counts. Now, they can be good supplements to your faith, but listen, they should never be substitutes for being in a community of faith. They're supplements, but they should never be substitutes. Proverbs says this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires, he breaks against all sound judgment. Proverbs 18.1 Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. 1 Corinthians 10.24 Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interests of others. Philippians I'm going to speed up here. The external demonstration of Christian fellowship after commanding us to stir up one another, or consider one another, he tells us to stir up one another for love and good works. The church is marked by love and good works. However, love and good works are not automatic parts of church life. Every Christian is called to love and good works. 
But you cannot fulfill this calling on your own. You must stir up love and good works. You know what happens when you get away from the community of faith? I, I'm amazed at people who say, I do more for Jesus since I left the church when I was in the church. Hogwash. That there's, that's not even possible. You can't. That, that verse says it right here. We all know we're called to love and good works, but guess what? None of us are getting there without, the other, without other people. None of us are going to get there without the community of faith. KJV says promote, uh, provoke, NASB, uh, New America Standard says stimulate. The NIV says the word spur. Okay? The, this word here that's used, uh, it has both a negative and a positive term. It has the negative term of irritate, but it also has the positive term of provoke. This word is used of Paul and Barnabas when Paul got irritated and they separated uh, uh, from their missionary journey. This, there it is on the screen, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other, okay? What separated Paul and Barnabas should bring Christians together. The negative connotation of the term should not be dismissed. If, we need to, if, if, need to be, if need be, we should irritate one another to good works. Iron sharpens iron, right? So one man sharpens another. Well, you don't get sharp by caressing and hugging and pampering. You sharpen iron by getting another piece of iron and rubbing it the wrong way. Likewise, your true friends are not the people who always agree with you, co-sign on your agenda, and stay out of your way. Your best friends are the ones who make you better, right? That involves time when friends put a supportive arm around your shoulder, and at times when they put a finger in your face and say, you know what? You, you might need to course correct, friend. You need both comfort of, uh, of tender love and the confrontation of tough love. We need to be uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ who think enough of you to stir you up to love and to good works. Corporate worship, listen, when we gather together, corporate worship, and I'm coming to an end, I promise, is three-dimensional. We come to bless God and God blesses us, right? That's the two-dimensional. We bless God, God blesses us. Here's the three-dimensional part that we forget about. You know what cor corporate worship always also does? We get to bless each other. We get to bless each other. If you're a follower of Christ, your presence and participation in corporate worship they're mandatory. The command of Scripture requires assembly. It requires us to gather together. We don't need to forsake this. I understand going on vacation and being away, but listen, our lives should be marked by the fact that we are gathering together not only on Sundays, but we are gathering together as often as we can even away from here. Your presence is mandatory. If you were to ask me 
for one verse that commands us to go to church, it's verse 25. It doesn't technically command us to go to church. It commands us not to uh, uh, neglect Christian assembly, which at the least means church. We don't need to neglect that. We don't need to abandon that. We don't need to forsake that. We, we need that. This is not some legalistic, uh, uh, you know, look, some of us grew up in legalistic churches where if you didn't go to church, uh, you, you weren't a Christian. But it was always spun in the fact that coming to church is what makes you a Christian. No, coming to church is what you are as a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian. This is what assures us that we are going to stay a Christian and that we're going to grow as a Christian and that we will finish the race as a Christian. That's what it does. It doesn't make us a Christian. It ensures that we stay a Christian. So it's not legalistic. And let me just skip to this last point. I'm skipping a lot here. The coming of our Savior requires assembly. And this is what I want to leave you with. The coming of our Savior requires assembly. It says we are to do this even as the day draws close to, closer. I want to tell you something. There, th- listen, the world is not going to get better. If, if, I, I mean, I'm a positive person. I'm glass half full. Uh, you know, I'm an optimist, not a pessimist. But my Bible tells me one thing is very clear. Uh, David, y'all come on. What the, the Bible tells me one thing is very clear at this point is that the world is not going to get better. And listen, and though you live in the great United States where religious freedom right now exists, I'm going to tell you something. If you can't see the handwriting on the wall, it's there. We are headed towards a God. I mean, it's already a godless society. It's going to become more and more and more. And Christianity, it, it, listen, true Christianity is going to become a minority. There will remain a certain aspect of Christianity that will be accepted and loved by other people, but it's not real Christianity because it doesn't offend anybody. It never talks about sin. I mean, it just totally ignores the majority of the teaching of the Bible. But there's a, there's a brand of Christianity that if lived out in the days ahead, it will face its fair share of persecution. And and, 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 and and the days will be tough. And listen, you may not think you need it now, but as those, as those days draw near, it'll be even more important that we assemble together. It'll be even more important that we gather together. Why? Because if not, what's going to happen is, is that we won't, you won't make it. You won't make it without other brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll quit. You'll give up. You'll prove yourself not to be a true believer to begin with. Satan has slowly but surely through this pandemic uh, that has hit our world. It, it, it is working in ways, tragic ways, that are just now being realized. tragic ways
I'm going to leave you with this verse. Take care, brothers, lest there be any evil, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Are you going to make it to the end? Is your salvation assured and secured? Keep playing. Is it assured? I'll tell you one of the ways you'll know. Intertwine yourself in the family of God and the people of God. And I'll promise you this. You'll get to the end because that's the way God's intended it. That's the way God structured it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's sin is deceitful. And sin is, is leading many people in our day towards a, a path away from the church that the church is not important anymore. It's not necessary for salvation. And, and it surely is not necessary for us to be saved, but it is necessary for us to remain saved. Because we the work that you began is continued not only through the work of your spirit, but the work of your saints in one another. And so, Father, I pray in the days ahead, and I pray even in this moment as we sing a song together to close out the service, that you would stir us up first. We need to get stirred up about each other and how much we need each other and, 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 and how much... Every person in this room is needed in every other person's life. And that our job is to focus on stirring one another up and encouraging one another because the days are tough and the days are going to get tougher and the darkness is going to get darker. And some of us are going to face tough times in the future simply because we're a Christian. Some people will lose their jobs. Others will face all kinds of difficulties simply because they claim you as their Lord and Savior. Simply because they stand on your truth. Because they walk out what your word says regardless of what the culture says. And so it is going to be imperative that in those days that if we're going to stand strong in the midst of some heavy headwinds, that we're going to need other brothers and sisters in Christ to stand with us and to encourage us and to stir us up and to say to us, this is the way, walk in it. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit. Because it's worth it. And you're not alone. The Lord is with you. And so am I. Father, help us to see. Open our eyes to the glories of this Christian community and what it can be if we more fully commit ourselves to it. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one more song.